0: Let's Continue worship with a reading from uh, Matthew 13 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Well, good morning, y'all. Please uh, say hello have a seat. I think you heard some of that. And so occasionally I'll be out. So Mike, thank you for telling jokes for 45 minutes last week. That was a good job. No, seriously, you did a good job. Thank you. Um, We've been talking about uh, maturity, and we have peppered in uh, to this discussion about maturity uh, values that we have as a church community. These are things or ingredients that we would say, if you are not pressing the gas, In these areas, uh, you won't be growing as a Christian. Um, Or or to say it positively, every growing, fruit-bearing, spirit-filled Christian will have these things going on in their life in increasing measure. Um, And these four ingredients that we've been looking at are uh, formation, mission, community, and worship. Um, so I have this bad tendency of doing like a review of the past sermons and like using all of my time, and then having ten. So we're gonna skip the review today. Um, so if you're new with us, just hop on the podcast; you can check out because we are sort of building on some logic. You might want to check it into. But today um, we sit with worship. Okay, worship is what we're gonna sit with today. Worship um, is one of those things uh, that most people think they already have. Uh, they already know what you mean when you say it, right? And it's either uh, worship is the thing we just did at church, the singing bit, right, Uh, that most people endure, you know, in many churches, or uh, worship is maybe the ritualistic side of religion. So worship consists of, like, certain things you have to get just right to be accepted, and you need to dress in this thing and do this hand motion, and it's all very proper and choreographed and repeatable, and that's worship. You go to do that stuff, and it really doesn't matter what stream of Christianity you find yourself in, whether it's Catholic or Orthodox or Pentecostal, Charismatic, all of them have repeated norms that they do on a weekly basis that most people would say that's worship, okay? So whether it's rooted in tradition or whether it's rooted in spontaneity, one says to be worship, you have to be structured and rigid and have the candles right, and one says, well, no, 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 to be worship, it needs to be unplanned and spontaneous, right? But both still have a definition of what worship ought to look. But my point is both of those definitions are lacking greatly because both of them are only referring to one hour on a Sunday morning. That is not the definition of worship. And I'm not dismissing that as not as it can't be worship or anything like that. I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying um, that definition, if that's your functioning definition of what worship is and how it Functions in your life, dude. That's a far cry um, from uh, what the Bible is getting at when it talks about worship and what it means to worship the living God. So, my interest today is first and foremost um, to define worship for us. I'm going to just give us a functioning definition of what I, how I would say this is, this is Christian worship, okay? And then um, we're going to spend most of our time there, and then we're going to see that connection with maturity um, at towards the end. So, let me let me pray for us, um, and then let's get this convo started. Jesus, um, we receive the love you have for us. It's probably a loaded prayer. Um, many, many, let me, we should, let me try again. Lord, help us open our hearts and our minds to the fact that you love us deeply. God would you right now, Holy Spirit, begin to break down, the obstacles and the barriers that we have put around our hearts from failure, from fear, from insecurities, from anxieties that keep us um, protected from your affections for us. God, would you break the back of pride in the name of Jesus? And I pray, God, today that some people would be invited into a completely different way of living. Come, Holy Spirit, do the things that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Let me read a small scripture from Romans. It's the last verse in Romans 11 and the first verse in Romans 12. And we're going to use that as a springboard for our discussion, okay? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal, no, so you know that the chapter markers have been added into the scripture. They didn't, they didn't write those. He, Paul was not like 12, verse 1. No, he, it's a letter, okay? Sometimes those are very helpful and sometimes they're not. In this instance, right before a therefore, it's, it's kind of important to get the, the back, you know what I mean? Okay, so, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. I appeal to you, therefore, Brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, so uh, when it when it comes to worship, I think surely one of the enemy's tactics, the enemy, that's right, the devil, the enemy, that guy. And if if the, if the picture that pops into your mind is the little guy in red tights, that's also the enemy playing on your. Uh, intellect to make you not consider him as an actual threat. Um, the, 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 the enemy, the devil, the adversary, the real adversary. Um, I think one of his uh, sure tactics when it comes to worship is to convince us this is something that only happens in church. And you have to have all the right things in play, whether it's smoke, lasers, and electric, like we said, or if it's candles and incense and Gregorian chant. And if the enemy can convince you that worship is for the professionals, Christians, and we need their help to do it, or maybe worship even, we can't even do it without them helping us to, he can effectively rob you of, listen, the foundation of any joy and meaning you might know as a Christian. That's a bold claim. Okay, let me say it this way. If you think worship is just Sunday mornings or even just a kind of music, right? Worship, music, you listen to worship, you know, right? That you, if it's just that, you are being robbed of the foundations of your joy as a Christian. Let me explain. All joy, all meaning, all delight as a Christian comes from one thing. One thing, it comes from responding to what God has done by offering your life in complete surrender. That's uh, so really, so I'm connecting a lot of dots here, okay? Stay with me. All joy, all meaning, okay, that you may experience as a Christian comes from responding to God by laying your life down. That is the joy of the Christian faith. not not a joy, it's the joy of the Christian faith. All joy, all meaning, all power, all endurance, any strength, any endurance you might get, any significance that you might enjoy as a Christian, if your Christian life is meaningful to you, if your Christian life gives you endurance, or if it gives you joy, any of that will come from one thing, from you responding to God by laying down your life. Now, if you think this guy is clearly overstating and hyperbole to make not, not so. In fact, if anything, I'm understating it. No amount of hyperbole or exaggeration can express this adequately. Any joy you may receive as a Christian, any power over sin, any freedom, any lightness of spirit will only enter as you see and respond appropriately to the overflowing goodness of God. And the only appropriate response is complete and total surrender. <laughs> Complete and total surrender of your life. And the degree of your surrender will be the degree of your joy and your strength and your obedience and your endurance as a Christian. So, uh, you said a lot there, buddy. I don't know about that. Ton of connections. If you're like, that sounds cute. I don't know what that means, but cool. We're just going to explore just that. That argument, okay? That's all we're gonna do for the rest of our time. Just explore that. Let me lay the foundations for how we're gonna, I'm gonna go at that, okay? Um, The foundation I wanna give you is just a definition of worship. So, my definition of worship is this seeing and responding to God's great worth by surrendering your life. That's it. Seeing and responding to God's great worth by surrendering your life. That's my definition of worship. It's not not singing, (laughs) that's a very, very small expression of it, actually. I enjoy it. I like that bit. Um, It's a very small expression of it, seeing and responding to God's great worth by surrendering your life. So let me tell you why I think this is the correct definition. And while I'm at it, let me tell you why worship is actually the fundamental ingredient Of Christian maturity, okay, from which every other action flows. So we've been talking about formation, we've been talking about mission and obedience and all that stuff, y'all. All All the things we've been talking about flows from worship, and if they don't, then we're not talking about Christianity anymore. We're just talking about religious practices, okay? So there's a lot of claims that I just laid out there, and I know your heads are still kind of like, "What is?" Okay, we're gonna get it. Why does all joy, all power, all freedom come as you respond by laying your life down in worship. Like, why can't you get joy before that? Why, why not? Why do you have to respond to the greatness and the goodness of God? Why can't you just get it by just believe? Can we just, can we just believe things, right? Sorry, I didn't hear you. I talked over you. It's because, let me give you just one reason. There's a lot of reasons why just believing is not enough. You have to actually respond to it. Um, facts are not enough. Knowing facts about God are not enough to bring you joy. <laughs> Knowing facts about God are not enough to make you endure. It's not enough to, to give you strength. Knowing facts is not enough. Dude, joy and power and freedom don't enter through the mind, they enter through the heart. Knowing facts is not enough, y'all. It only, joy, all that stuff, only enters when you see those facts about God as so beautiful, so majestic, so desirable that you begin to lay every part of your life down at the feet of Jesus. That's the moment when joy enters and not a moment before it. It's only when you see that God is more worthy more beautiful, more desirable than any other thing in the universe that worship begins to happen in your life. Now, notice I didn't say worship is when you insist that nothing else is beautiful or desirable or worthy. No, no. Other things are still good and beautiful in life. It's just that you see God as more beautiful, more desirable than any other good in the life. In the Romans, in life, in Romans passage that we just read, it says, from God and through God and to God are all things. That means he made everything. And he made everything by his strength and for his glory. Okay, this is one of the, like, basic Christianity 101 ideas about God, right? He made everything, he made it by his strength, he made it for his glory. Because according to the Bible, right, this is just a kind of founding foundation about reality. And we can know that, we can know, hey, he made things and he's glorious because look at things, I mean, they're amazing. And it's still not give joy and worship and endurance in your life. But here's one of the arguments. If he is the source of all things we enjoy, it stands to reason that he himself is better than all the things that we enjoy. Does it not? If we enjoy everything he made, doesn't it make sense that he's better than all the stuff that he made? Right? That's the biblical claim. Now, you may or may not agree with that or may or may not believe that. But what I want you to see is simply mentally agreeing with the claim is not enough to cause worship and joy. You know why? Because the demons know that. And they are not Christians. Demons know that, yo. James 2 says demonic spiritual beings know theological realities about God, and they shudder in horror. In fact, why isn't knowledge enough? In fact, in the New Testament, it's actually the demons that first let the cat out of the bag, that Jesus is the Messiah. Like they know it before the disciples know it. Have you ever read the New Testament? Jesus is walking around and all of a sudden, demons are screaming, you're the son of God! And he's like, shh. And everyone else is like, I don't know. Dude, dude, have you read the Bible? It'll twist your brain. Knowing is not enough, guys dark spiritual powers know theological realities about God, and yet they are not Christians. No, it's responding to these realities that then things begin to change in our life, right? What, this is, what Romans 12 and 11 is saying, hey, man, in view of this stuff, in view of God's great mercy present your body as a living sacrifice. There's the worship is when you present when you're responding. What I'm trying to tell you, until the rubber meets the road here, like until there's real surrender and real laying down of your life before God. Dude, listen, joy and strength and vitality and power will elude you. You have to engage with it by actually responding to it. Or as James put it, faith without Works is dead. For our convo, we'd say faith without responding is dead, right? Or you can say it this way. As you begin to obey and surrender in real tangible ways, in that moment, y'all, in that moment of real tangible surrender, that's when joy and power begin to enter into your life and not a moment before. And if you're like, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that. No, I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. I'm saying that because this is the fight that I am in right now personally. And it's really the fight that all of you are in, really. But Every day, this is the center of my turmoil and struggle as a person. Every day, part of me says, Chris, your life is your own. Do what you want with it. Pursue your own agendas and your goals, and those will bring you joy. <laughs> that's where I'm at. And there's this other part of me that's like, well, actually, Scripture and even your own experience, Chris, knows that like, when you lay things down at God's feet, joy and peace enter. And despite that knowledge, I'm still in the fight. <laughs> like the ra- battle's raging on all the time. I think I think I know what's going to bring me joy. I know the good stuff, right? And then you know, anyone else, is this just me right? Every time y'all, I come to a place of surrender. Like God like meets me there and peace and joy like bubbles out of me. But despite all the experiences that I've had, I still find in myself, right uh, this drifting, to drift away from God as my center of joy and find other things and pursue them. As one pastor said, the problem with the living sacrifice, is always trying to crawl off the altar. Um, and dude, that's, <laughs> that's me. That might not be you. That's me every day. And it's us more than we want to admit. It's why Paul said, I die daily, because the war, the war, the war, the fundamental issue, the fundamental question of the universe is who or what will you worship? It's the fundamental question of the universe. And if you distill it down to the most basic options, you can worship God or you can worship yourself. Will you give credit where credit is due or will you stand defending the illusion that you made yourself and that you are to credit for all the good in your life? Dude, I'm just telling you, that's absurd. Like you have so little to do with all the good you enjoy when you, if you think about it, like with your capacities and your ability to enjoy things. Like God's given you all that stuff. What I'm trying to tell you is all joy, all meaning, all delight, all endurance comes as you give all of the good God has given you back to God. That's the joy of the Christian life, y'all. That's the joy of the Christian life. It's giving it back. It's giving it back. For many of us, the risk of looking like we don't have it together or our fear of looking foolish checks our willingness to give our life back to God, right? In in, in any radical way, right? And we remain locked out of joy. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. If you stand in the back with your arms crossed, right? Saying, yeah, maybe he's good, but I'm not sure if he's really worth it and I'm not gonna do anything about it. And, you know, by the way, I really like, you know, lusting and I like gossiping. uh, I'm gonna do what I want with my money. I'm gonna do what I want with my life. You're just not gonna know joy as a Christian. You're not gonna know it. Because you don't really believe who God is and what he's done, and therefore you won't respond appropriately, and you won't know the joy of responding appropriately to God, which is laying down your life, which is giving everything to him, every single part. That's where the joy enters, not in simply knowing. So let me connect some more dots for us. What you find in the New Testament and throughout Christian history is Christians continually hitting the limitations of language to try to adequately express what responding to God should look like. Like they're just, if you've noticed this in the Bible, they're just going for it. They're just trying to, over, and they seem to be saying, man, we could lay all our life down, all our possessions. We could get it every minute of every day. We could sacrifice everything, and everything would not be enough to give God the credit due His name right? When you read the New Testament, it's what you see in the writers of the New Testament is this kind of all-encompassing obsession fueled by a conviction that Jesus is the most glorious, most wonderful, most satisfying treasure in the universe. It's why, in my opinion, the number one parable on worship is the treasure hidden in a field. That's what we read earlier. Uh, Who read that? I think Mike read that, right? Jesus says, hey, there's a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, In his joy, he goes out and he sells all he has so that he can be the legitimate owner of that field. John Piper says for years uh, he's read that and totally ignored this one phrase in that parable. He didn't even see it. Just read this one phrase, in his joy. What is joy describing in the parable? What is the process that that is described as joy? In his joy, right? What's the man doing In joy, what's bringing him joy? It wasn't just finding the treasure. Like he realized, nothing in his life is as valuable as this treasure. And if I sell everything, if I count all as rubbish, I could appropriate that. I could have that treasure for myself. Y'all, the joy here is describing the process of him selling everything. That's what he's. That's what's described. In his in joy, bro goes out. It was the joy entered when the when he started taking a risk, a bold what many would call reckless risk. You're gonna sell all you have and go buy that clump of dirt. What what do you see in that dirt, bro? Well, you said I might see something you don't know. I found a treasure. I might hit it right but it was the process of him selling everything he had to go buy that treasure that brought the joy. And in doing so, he showed the world with all of his heart, right, what he really believes brings joy, didn't he? This field, this useless field that no one else understands why you're selling everything you have. In his joy, he considered every other good a lesser good and sold it. So that he could have the thing that he thought was the primary good, which was this treasure. And until you see God as the primary good in the universe, you will not live a life of worship. You just won't. If you are continually laying down your life for other efforts, other pursuits, right? I mean, and this is, here's the deal. Here's the reality about this whole conversation. All of us are laying down our lives for pursuits right now. All of us are straight-up worshipers, man. We have things that we are willing to sacrifice over and over and over again to pursue things. Uh, the, the number one thing that we tend to pursue in our culture, well, actually, it's surprisingly uh, predictable and not very creative, uh, the things that we tend to pursue in our society. Uh, it's basically worship, sex, and, and uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> money, sex, and fame. It's, like, predictably boring. It's just the things that we are attracted to over and over and over again. If, if there's one thing that we are going to uh, go after, it tends to be those things. So worship as, as we have defined it is um, we're obviously talking about more than a Sunday morning, right? We're talking about, when we say worship, we're talking about the things that our hearts delight in, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the things your heart values and treasures and how you respond to those things by pursuing it. And if that is the correct definition of worship, then each one of us are worshipers. Each one of us were passionate worshipers, like risk-it-all type worshipers. The question for all of us, for anyone, religious or not, is not do you worship, is what do you worship? That's the question for anyone. And think about Jesus' parable again. This guy saw something beautiful, okay, counted the cost, paid the price, and as he did that, found overwhelming joy in that pursuit. Um, we're already doing that in all sorts of areas. The question is, is the pursuit that you find yourself on delivering? Like, the thing that you're pursuing that you say, dude, I'm telling you, man, there's joy there. You know, whether it's like, I mean, with all the things, you know, playing video games 24-7, there's joy there, buddy. Okay, is that delivering? (laughs) If it's just like promiscuous sex, you know, want to so we'll have sex with whoever? Want we'll to have sex with? Okay, cool. Well, you're, if you if that's your angle, you're probably making great sacrifices to do that. And my question would then be: Is it delivering? If if you're convinced that the greatest good known to man is is just dude abundant possessions, dude, I can get on that train. Come on, dude. Like, just whose blood doesn't pump when we say passive income? Right? It's like, yeah, oh, amen. Right? Got this. In fact, while I have you, I have this triangle thing that we're gonna talk about. <laughs> right? Like it's—I mean, come on, man! Like that's the number one. We'll just get after that. Look, this is the human condition. We see things we love, and we will sacrifice sometimes great sacrifices to pursue that. And I'm just—I just want to ask you a very simple question: The things you're pursuing—is it delivering? Is it giving you the joy you think? it ought to give you or thought it would give you. Because I can tell you time and time again in my own experience, I'm, I'm kind of dumb. Like, it, it will not deliver over and over and over again. And I'm still like, no, I'm pretty sure. Like, turning left didn't work last time. Turn left harder, you know? <laughs> Doing that didn't work last time. Do it again, harder, you know? I'm, I don't know if you can relate to that, but that tends to be my spiritual reality often. Like, dude, you've done that over and over again. And like, as, what does that say? As a dog returns to its vomit, I'm, I don't know if you can listen to a guy that says, that's my life, but that's, dude, I'm there. Are the things that you think will bring you joy bringing you joy? And to me, you know, <laughs> last week, here, let me step back. You're already in pursuit of something. I missed a really good joke that I want, you know, to get here. Uh, <la- last week, Mike said he wants a six-pack. Mike, we're rooting for you, man. Like, we got this, right? <laughs> you may be with him. Maybe you've seen a six-pack, and you think, that that's nice. I'd like to have, th- that'd be cool. And maybe, like Mike, you've counted the cost, you know? And you're going to pay the price to pursue it. <laughs> A lot of us, I mean, we're chatting, okay, okay. A lot of us are willing to make great sacrifices to get a six-pack. I mean, think about the thousands of dollars in surgery you can spend. You're gonna get up early. You're gonna go to that gym. Some of y'all are crazy enough to even jog, right? <laughs> right? On multiple levels, we are pursuing things, and we are paying a price in that pursuit. Listen, let's just pause. Dude, <laughs> nothing's wrong with being healthy, okay? <laughs> and nothing, hey, that was a good nothing's wrong with wanting to make money. Can we say that in church? Dude, nothing's wrong with it. It's okay. Look, I want you to be as successful and healthy as you possibly can. So for myself too, right? But these things, when these pursuits become ultimate in our life, they start edging on what you would call idolatry. You know what idolatry is? So, you know so all these things, money, health, good things. <laughs> right, good things, okay? When they become ultimate things, what does that mean? Well, it means when you start expecting those things to do what only God can do, it becomes idolatry. And then it becomes sin of what you have to repent of to enter back into life. Because in that repentance, you're saying, I have propped something up as God that is not God. And I repent of sacrificing on the altar of a God that indeed was not a God. Think of all the families and the children and the spouses that have been sacrificed on the altar of higher personal revenue. Just for a moment, since that's the one that's dominant in our culture, Let's think about all of the things we are willing to sacrifice to make more money. Like, I'm with you guys, all right? I'm there with you. Sacrifice sleep. Uh, pour our energies out. Pour our intellect out. We will work our fingers to the bone. We'll get up early. We'll stay up late. We'll go without this. We will work with people we hate and don't trust if we can make more money in the end. We will submit to humiliation. We will submit to scrutiny. We will have no personal life at all if we can but make more money. Just go to New York. It's just the air we breathe in some of our, in some of our cities. Not to mention, those are just like good things we're willing to sacrifice. Not to mention, we are willing to sacrifice all morality on the altar, aren't we? Think of all of the evil wickedness that has played out in human history uh, uh, as people have tried to secure more money and wealth for themselves. Violence, betrayal, murder, war. We are willing to sacrifice all, all sorts of things uh, to pursue things. And what, it might not be money for you. Maybe you're like, I'm good, dude. I don't, okay, well, something. There's something in your life that you see as beautiful that you're willing to sacrifice for. And if you want to figure out what you worship, All you have to do is ask yourself, what are the things in my life that I'll sacrifice anything to have? And if I don't have it, well, then who am I and how how do I know I'm valuable as as a person? You are right now, religious or not, Christian or not, presenting your body to something in worship. You're laying down your life for something. What is it? Let me, be, let me be clear, right? Making money's not bad, right? Not at all. Won't you be? I, but I'm always intrigued by this really crazy parable uh, in Luke 16 that Jesus gives. And I'm just going to talk about it real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Um, I want us, to, real quick before we leave, I want us to compare our willingness to sacrifice things to make money. With our willingness to sacrifice things to make the beauties of Jesus known to the ends of the earth. And this is gonna reveal what we really value and and consider praiseworthy. Jesus said this really strange thing in Luke 16. He says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd. That word really means wise. Shrewd, we have a negative connotation with. If you look up the uh, original, it just means wise, it means intelligent, prudent. He says, for the sons of this world are more wise in dealing with their own generation than the sons of lights. Now, this is after a really weird, strange parable about this, this uh, clerk who gets fired by his master. You guys read this in Luke 16? This guy gets fired, and then he goes around to all the guys who own the, owe the master money, and he starts detracting their debt. He says, hey, you, you owe 100? Okay, well, now you owe 80, and you owe, okay. And you're like, dude, this is This dude is totally... And then it says that the master commends the dishonest manager. It is a bizarre story. Because you're like, what? God is going to commend someone for lying and, like, cheating his master? And he says this thing. For the sons of the world uh, are more wise in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. In the context, if you go down to the bottom, makes it clear what he what his, he says, because you can't serve both God and money at the end of this. In the context makes it clear, he's saying, listen, godless secular people will pour forth elegant uh, intelligence, sorry, they will, they will give more intelligence, they'll give more thoughtfulness, they'll give more sacrifice to make money than Christians will to serve God. Go, go read it. It's such a fascinating thing. At the end, he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's really a sobering observation and forces us to ask ourselves, uh, what am I sacrificing for in pursuit of in my life, right? And when your hearts have become captivated by something, you will begin to adjust your life to pursue that thing. And it, and so, I've always, always struck me, that parable, just comparing our willingness to pursue money and sacrifice for money versus our willingness to follow Jesus. I mean, think about like these startups, like with like three dudes that like make millions of dollars because they just sacrifice everything. That everything goes on the altar of growing the company. What, I mean, what if three dudes in this room were like, you know what, we're just gonna sacrifice everything to make Jesus known? We're gonna give all of our intelligence, all of our energy, all of our thoughtfulness. We're gonna brainstorm. We're gonna receive critique. We're gonna work with people we don't like. If we can make Jesus' name known, we're going to sacrifice sleep, we're going to get up early, we're going to stay up late. Now, don't get me wrong, it can go south, right? Like, ministry can become a God. It can become an idol. But what a fascinating thought, and that's stuck with me for a long time. When our hearts become captivated by something, we will make substantial sacrifices to pursue it. And as we do that, it forms us, y'all. It changes us. If you adjust your life to pursue marriage, guess what? you're probably going to become a married person. (laughs) If you adjust your life to pursue health, you'll probably become a healthy person. If you adjust your life to pursue money, you'll probably become a wealthy person. If you adjust your life to pursue God, you'll become a godly person, right? But it's the practical adjustments that we often don't realize really matter a lot in that pursuit and how that pursuit forms us. Here's the deal. We're going to wrap it up. The object of your worship... Will dictate the depth of your maturity because you will become like the thing you love. You will become like the thing you love. If you you love fantasy, you will become disconnected and irrelevant. If you love power, you will become aggressive and domineering. If you love sex, you will become vain and self centered in relationships. If you love money, you will become stingy and ruthless. If you love popularity, you will become like those you want to please. If you love God, you will slowly but surely become more and more like Him because we will become like the things we love. You will start becoming more compassionate, more merciful, more patient, more forgiving, more loving when we give the seat of the affections of our hearts to our Father, we start to become like Him. So maybe you're here today, and, and you f- have felt for a long time confused by worship. It's just always confused you. Like, I mean, when I'm, now when I say that, I'm talking about just like the singing part, because a lot of times that's our definition what we're working with, right? Like, you think it's nice, and that's a nice song, and hearing people sing is nice. Uh, but if you're honest... Um, you, you've you always felt on the outside looking in when it comes to worship, and maybe even finding joy in God. Like, maybe you mentally know, well, I think he deserves things, and I think I should be making sacrifice, but I have zero motivation to give him the, the sacrifices, the things that apparently he deserves, right? Maybe you're in a place where you just can't get to this idea of loving God with your heart. Like, really finding him of value and finding him satisfying in your life, right? If that area of your life, if if your heart feels just cauterized in that expression, I I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God might be doing. I think today, I really do, guys, think today God wants to tenderize some of our hearts, not only so that we can express ourselves in worship, but so we can receive his love for us. Because what happens is when we go through life and become calloused and cynical and jaded, we put up walls around our hearts. And if the love of God and the compassion of God can never penetrate to the depths of us, then we will never be able to enter into worship because you have no reason. You, you're stuck in this kind of, I have to obey and then I'm accepted. That's not Christianity. That's every other religion. Christianity isn't you have to obey and do the rules. Christianity is you have been accepted because of the suffering of Jesus, and out of that acceptance, you then obey. So let's stand and worship. I mean, let's stand as we come to the table. Sorry. Let's stand, guys. Let me um, me end today with a a fantastic Lewis quote for you. Lewis connected uh, praise uh, and worship to maturity by this. He said the humblest and most balanced minds uh, praise most, while cranks and misfits and malcontents praised least. He said good critics found something to praise in many imperfect works. Bad ones continually narrowed the list of books we might be allowed to read. The healthy man, even if luxuriously brought up, could praise a modest meal. The snob found fault with all. He says, Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Inner health made audible. And I feel like that's revel- relevant today. If during the whole conversation about worship, nothing was really connecting because you can't point to anything that you think is worth laying your life down for. <laughs> anything worth praising. If you're here today and life has seemed to have lost its color, if you're here, this whole convo has just felt disconnected because you don't see anything beautiful or worthy of pursuit right now. Maybe disappointment and all that kind of stuff's just wearing on you. Um, maybe the ability to even delight in things feels uh, cauterized. I'd hate for you to leave today without getting prayer, man. So come forward. I'd love to pray with you. Let me pray for us and we'll get out of here. Jesus. God thank you that we can come together as a family and be encouraged by your word. Father, I pray that you would help us think about and consider the things of which we are pursuing. And God would you reveal the things in our hearts and lives that are really just lesser gods? They're, they're little gods that can't deliver God, sex, and money, success, all these fame, all these things they promise so much. But story after story, we know they never deliver. God, have mercy on us as we make day-to-day decisions of what our hearts will pursue. God, help us to grow and mature in this area of giving credit where credit's due. God, we love you. Help us learn how to live lives of worship. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming today, guys. Have an excellent week. We'll see you next time.